Good evening. Thanks for being here to our uh, Wednesday night service as we continue our journey through the Bible. We're going to be continuing our journey in the book of Hebrews tonight, chapter 2. I invite you to uh, stand as we worship and as we answer the question, what child is this? What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch our keeping. Why lies he in such mean estate where rocks and ass are feeding? Good Christian fear for sinners here, the silent word is pleading. This, this is Christ the King, who shepherds God and angels sing. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh, come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings, that loving hearts enthrone him. This, this is Christ the king, who shepherds God and angels sing. The babe, the son of Mary. This, this is Christ the King, who shepherds God and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. Yeah. 
Great is the one who 
live this life. And yet you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. The one who gave his life so that we could trust in Christ alone. alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Ground, his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am His, and He is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever blood from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll or calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll stand 
God, we thank you that you did not just remain outside of our situation, but that you personally got involved and that you truly are God with us. And we know that even today, even with what we see going on in the world, we know that these names that we've been singing, the Wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, that these are names that you wear today. These are names to describe you and how your character and how you treat us and how you act. We do look forward to that day when you will truly be able to take your throne and you will rule with peace forever and you will rule with justice forever and we will be in your presence forever and ever and ever. Until then, we adore you, we praise you, and we worship you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you would, find your way over to Hebrews chapter 2. Lord willing, we're going to get through chapter 2 and chapter 3 tonight as we continue our journey through the Bible. We're getting closer to the end, and then we can start all over again. And we'll see if it takes us another 8, 10, 12 years or something. I don't know. We'll see what the Lord does. I also want to encourage you, um, for those of you that have signed up for the Israel trip and watching what's going on, it looks better and better every day. But we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, peace of Israel. And, and um, recently, some of the reports have been coming back that, Lord willing, they're going to they're gonna have most of it buttoned up by uh, mid-January. And then we'll be able to move forward with that. But tonight, we're going to be taking a look at Hebrews chapter 2. One of the key passages that we find in this is in Hebrews 6.1, it says this, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to the maturity not laying a foundation of repentance from the dead works and of faith towards God. One of the dangers in, in the Christian journey is as you're maturing in faith, the, the danger is really either stalling out or getting to a place where you start losing heart and even start backsliding. We always want to be progressing in our faith and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and keep moving forward, but sometimes... Things happen in our life, difficulties happen, and, and there is a, a, a danger of getting off course where we start losing our way, where we start backsliding, we start getting to a place where we start trusting in old works or old behaviors or old habits. And we always have to challenge ourselves with that. And so as the writer of, of Hebrews is writing to these Jewish Christians, one of the dangers that they're facing is reverting back to the law, reverting back to ritualism and, and, and Judaism and such things, and, and the old traditions within that, and, and the emptiness of the liturgy that was there. And so departing from the faith in Christ, going backwards. And as a Christ follower, you never want to go backwards. You always want to be progressing. You always want to be moving forward. And so as we work through this, the writer of Hebrews is going to talk about the preeminence of Jesus as is the Messiah, the preeminence of Jesus in the priesthood, his ministry, the privileges that come along as a Christ follower. 
when we start looking at, at who Jesus is and putting him first, we're going to stay the course. But when we stop looking at Jesus and we stop prioritizing uh, a growth in Christ, and we substitute anything else for Jesus, we start drifting. We start drifting off course. Even in religion, you could be the most religious person and be out of bounds and be off course in that. The, the supremacy of Jesus overall has to be the direction that, that we live to, that Jesus is first and foremost in everything. We even talked about that this morning in our men's study, you know, in, in uh, eschatology, things of the end times, and we're doing Revelation, and we did a bit of Revelation 5 this morning. We were talking about that, and, and, and it's so easy to get wrapped around the axle and, on, okay, well, is there seven seals, and where are the seals, or are they lined up, and all these other things, and what does this mean and that mean? And we've got to remember that the whole book of Revelation is the revealing of Jesus, the apocalypse of Jesus, and not to get all, all wrapped up on the end time thing. So we've got to understand that Jesus needs to come first. Now, last week, we talked about Jesus' position as the radiant reflection of God. So we start out with the incarnate Jesus, the reflection of God on earth for us. And one of the problems that they were having was that they were starting to elevate the worship of angels and the messages of angels as the messenger. This week we're going to take a look at how Jesus' message is better than the message of the angels and the gospel message that is there and that he's better than Moses in all of these things. So as we work through this, we're going to work through it systematically. I encourage you, read through Hebrews. If you can, read through the book, the whole book in one sitting and read through it at least once a week. It is, it is from a literary standpoint, it's probably one of the best New Testament books ever written. But also, it's, it's a difficult book to understand, so you need to be familiar with it, within this. So let's jump right in, in chapter 2, in Hebrews 2, we'll take a look at first the challenge not to drift from the truth. It says this, for this reason, for what reason, that Jesus is better than angels, for this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it, for if the word spoken through the angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard it, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. So it's one thing to be able to trust in the message of angels and, and say, okay, well, Jesus is better than angels. But the other thing is you have to understand that the priority of the message of the angels was a proclamation of the will of God on earth to be able to be in this place. The warning in verses 1 and 2, it, it's confronting this movement of people that are drifting away. Today in our society, we have a group of people that are drifting away the church. They've been doing it for a number of years. They're, they're, they're called the nuns. Not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. They're, they're the people that say, well, I don't have to go to church to believe in Christian. I don't have to go to church to trust in God. Do you know those kind of people? Have you ever met them? 
I, I don't have a church affiliation within this. They say, I believe in God, but I don't have a religion. And, and I, I really don't need to. And so what happens is they start drifting away. Every single one of us that's in this room and watching online, we have to guard our hearts that we don't drift away. You ever wonder why Jesus would refer to or God referred to us as sheep? Sheep really aren't the smartest people in the world, well, animals. Sheep need a shepherd. And when we were in Romania, uh, in some of our earlier trips, we, were going, we went to this place called Necrolesh. And, and Necrolesh is an amazing uh, camp that we had in working with Marcel and the church that was there. And, and, and it's kind of like the Sound of Music hills, you know, it's the, these really steep, tall hills and, and green grass and, and all of that. And we had this camp that was there and we had to go down to the river to bathe and, and do all of those things. But there was, at, in one of the camps, and I can't remember if it was our first or second one, there was these shepherds that were taking care of their sheep, and they had these two big, like, mutt of sheep dogs. Maybe there was three that was there. And we'd wake up in the morning, and, and they would run these sheep up the hill, and they'd run them down the hill, and we were looking across the canyon, and we'd hear them yelling and screaming. And, and Until one morning, the sheep dogs ended up over in our camp. Well, we're hanging out. We thought, okay, cool, dogs, right? You know, we would just kind of play with the dogs and feed the dogs. And then the shepherds showed up. And they were angry. They were mad. We were feeding the dogs. and Stop feeding our dogs. they got to work. Why? Because they needed the shepherds. The Lord smiling because he remembers. They were, they, they were in there. They were, they were after the dogs. Why? Because they needed the dogs to run the sheep. Because the sheep will wander. They'll go wherever they're going to go. And they'll get in trouble and do different things. Well, we all, like sheep, have a tendency to wander and go astray. And it's very easy to drift away or drift off course. How do I know that? Well, when you miss a Sunday coming to church and fellowship and worship, then you'll go like two weeks without connection, unless you come on Wednesday nights. But, you know, you go on vacation, you go a week, you go two weeks. Don't you find about the third week, it's a little bit easier not to go? And about the fourth week, it's a little bit easier not to go, and you start having other things, and you know the national average of people that call themselves regular church attenders only attend church once a month? But it's easier to drift when you're not connected, when you're not, when you're not in church, and before you know it, you haven't been in church for a year, or, or maybe reading the Bible. You're real diligent about reading your Bible. And then you miss a day. Oh, then you miss two days. And then you miss a week. And then you miss... And it's it's a slippery slope that's within this. And so we need to understand that we need to continue to be plugged into the Word of God. We need to, to come to church to, to keep that fire kindled within this. And what was the problem with the Jews, these Jewish Christians that are here, is they're not keeping first and foremost the message that was coming from Jesus, and they started listening to other teachers and other things. Proverbs 3.21 says this, My son, let not them vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. We've got to keep God's Word in front of us. We need to be in the Word regularly. That's, that's to help nourish our soul, but also help keep us on course. To keep us steadfast. 
to be able to do that. When you take a look at some of the churches, they, they, in, in Revelation, they would leave, like Ephesus, they would leave their first love. And it's super easy to drift when we, when we stop following after the Lord as we should. We need to keep focused on the right messenger that's giving the right message. If you look at verse 3, he says this, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? What happens if you neglect your salvation? What if you neglect the nurturing of the value of, of rejoicing over your salvation? Well, what ends up happening is, is your heart becomes very hard. It becomes unfruitful. One of the things that you can do is just meditate on the grace gift of salvation and really consider how special that gift is of, of being saved within this. Now, the problem was they were reverting back to a different kind of salvation. They were neglecting salvation by grace and they were reverting back to salvation by law. One of the things, according to tradition, was that the law was given through Moses via angels who had, who had brought this message. How do we know that? Well, Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 says this, Why then the law? It was added because of transgression, having been ordained, note, through angels by the agency of a mediator, until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Jewish tradition was saying, well, Moses got the law, but it was angels that were helping bring it down and write it and such things, and, and according to these traditions. And so they were elevating the message of angels. The problem is, is when you, have, when you chase after the law, you're, you're, you're leaving the message of grace. Now, we do need the law. The law reveals our sin, but it's grace that leads us to such a great salvation within this. There is a tendency, though, of people losing sight of the value of a great grace salvation and falling back into the deeds of the law. Why? Because if you give me a list of a punch list of the do's and the don'ts, well, then I can pull up that punch list and say, I did this, I did this, I did this, I must be saved. But if you're following out of a relationship, out of grace, that, that is a matter of the heart that's in this. <clears throat> the law was was given to us only to give us counsel until Jesus came. But these Jewish believers were, were getting ready to abandon the message of the gospel of salvation that came through Jesus and revert back to legalism. The sectarian style of, of liturgy that is there. And, and Jesus said, no, that's, that's not acceptable. Now, you can't cast off the Old Testament. I've heard people do that. Well, I'm a New Testament Christian. I don't need the law. Is that a truth or a lie? It's a lie. You need the law. You need the law because it sets up the boundaries and the barriers for our journey. And it's the grace of God that carries us forward. You can't cast off the law because if you never had the law, you would never know the value of grace. Let me say that again. If you never had the law... You would never know the value of grace. We need both. We need the law to reveal to us what our, our condition is as a lost sinner so that we would desperately know that we need to be forgiven within that. 
to understand the law brings me to a better understanding of the message of grace itself. But the Jews were, were drifting downstream, away from grace and just in law, and, and going after the law. And so within this, we've got to understand that it was the Lord that confirmed the law first through Moses, but then he brought the message of grace. And so within this, we know that we need to continue to, as we say, fight the good fight of faith. We need to not go with the flow. You think about a relationship. What happens in a marriage relationship if you neglect your spouse? Is your love growing stronger or are you growing apart? You're growing apart. You know, I, I, I've heard of so many people that, you know, by the time the kids grow up and teenagers grow up and they all get out of the house... If you don't nurture that relationship, that marriage relationship, the whole time that you're married, you know, like when you first got married and you were like, you know, all googly eye and, and goofy at each other. And then the kids come and life gets really busy. Right? Well, I don't got time or whatever. And if you don't nurture it during that whole time, then when the kids get all grown up and out of the house and you look at that person and you go, we've been roommates for the last 12 years. And you drift apart. You need to nurture it. Well, it's the same thing as you, as you grow in the, the grace of God. You get all googly-eyed when you get saved. But over a period of time, if you're not nurturing that relationship with God, you're just drifting. And you're drifting kind of downstream. And, and we need to fight that good fight of faith. We need to flow in that relationship. And, and the writer says that that's through the power of the Holy Spirit. The law does not give life, but the Holy Spirit does, in that we are born again and we have that better life through the Holy Spirit. Notice he says in verse 4, God also testifying with them both the signs and the wonders by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. In the Old Testament, God would reveal his power and his strength through the prophets and through different miracles, the Egypt and such. But in the New Testament, it was authenticated with Jesus with miracles, the disciples with miracles, but most importantly, inwardly, through the Holy Spirit. That's why we have the Holy Spirit, to testify to the Word of God, to keep us intact, in to be able to speak to our heart, to keep it soft. Have you ever prayed, God, soften my heart? God, soften my heart. You know how you're, you're, you're starting to drift? When you don't hear the Holy Spirit. You say, well, Carrie, I don't hear the Holy Spirit. I can tell you this, it's not because He's not talking. It's because you're not listening. God is talking through His Spirit all the time. He will speak in your heart. He will speak through the Word. He will speak through other people within that. And tuning in to the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God speaks. On Sunday nights, and, and we'll have next gen this, this, this week, so we're going to kind of take an off uh, a week on it. Then we'll pick up in January. We're doing the study experiencing God. And, and one of the things that I'm, I'm just hammering with the group, and I'll hammer it with you, is, is God gives us these, these spiritual nudges. And when God gives you a spiritual nudge, you, you need to be in tune to what He's nudging you to do. 
It'll be a little circumstance or a little word or, or a passage in Scripture or something that, that maybe you hear in a Bible study and it'll be a little nudge and it'll speak to your heart. And, and it'll, it'll, it'll have a voice of, yeah, this is what you need to do or this is what you need to work through or whatever the case is. You need to learn to pay attention to that. And then pray and listen and watch how God moves those nudges. We've been experiencing that like crazy around here. We had somebody who, had, who, who was given a spiritual nudge and, and come to find out they're going to be in a house soon, a dwelling that the Lord has provided through a little nudge within that. On Saturday, we had a great funeral service. I didn't preach it, but there was another guy that preached it and had two people get saved. Imagine that. People getting saved at a funeral service. How does that work? God gave the speaker the nudge. God gave the listener the nudge. The Holy Spirit worked and the people came to faith. That is a living relationship. That is a great salvation. We cannot neglect that great salvation. We can't ignore God nor our salvation. And to revert back to legalism neglects your salvation, which is a living salvation. Israel neglected a lot of things about their relationship with God. One of the things they neglected and they forgot about was, for example, when they were taken out of Egypt. They forgot all about the plagues and how God provided for them. They neglected such a great salvation that God had taken them out of slavery in Egypt and into the wilderness area. And what did they do? Oh, God, we need to go back. You brought us out to kill us. They didn't nurture the relationship within this. The same thing with the gift of grace. We should never return back to the empty works of the law. The law is there to remind us of how great the grace is. And God confirms that message through miracles, through God's sightings. You should see God work all the time. Is God working all the time? Yes. God is always working. Always working. And if you have spiritual eyes, you'll see Him. You'll see Him work. I, I see it often. Often I see Him. Because I'm looking. And, and, and we see how God works in, in just tremendous ways. And I could go testimony on testimony of, of how this year God has been working within this. Because it's His Spirit that dwells within us to be able to see. First Peter chapter 1, verse 12 says this, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but in these things which have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, Things into which angels long to look. Why is Jesus better than the, the angels? Why is the message better that Jesus brings better than angels? Because angels do not bring the message through the Holy Spirit. Angels are watching. You know what's super cool about this? Angels are watching and learning about God through how He interacts with you. That is super cool. So within this, so what Jesus is doing in and through us and what the Holy Spirit is doing in and through us is a better message where God's speaking directly to our hearts. Where the angels had a use prior to Jesus coming and a message of get ready 
for Jesus. Jesus is the message. He is the Word. And He came to bring that message of salvation. Look at verses 5-9. through nine. It says this, For he did, not subject, uh, he did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which they are speaking. But one testified somewhere, saying, What is man that you would remember him? Or the son of man that you were concerned about him? You've made him for a little while lower than the angels, and you've crowned with him the glory and honor, and have appointed him over the works of your hands. And you have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see the things subjected to him. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering and the death and crowned with the glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Why is the message of Jesus better than the angels? One is because the message comes directly from God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God that has come down to the... He's the Word that came down among us. John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Why is Jesus' message better than the angels? Because the angels would get limited segments of messages that they would come down and they would, they would give to mankind... From God. Jesus is the Word that came down. He is the Word of God, incarnate, that is here, to reveal everything about the Father to us and to live. What else is special about this? Well, when you think about this, what angels ever came and actually dwelt among mankind and lived and walked? They didn't. They would come, they would, they would be here for a bit, and then they would leave. Jesus' message is better because He actually came down and encountered everything that we would go through. He came down and became flesh and, and walked among us and repeated God's message over time. Philip said, well, show us the Father. Jesus says, have I been so long with you, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father within this. And, and as I said, the angels repeated this message, but Jesus was straightforward with it. Now, what the writer does is he actually quotes Old Testament to these New Testament Jews that they're in danger of going back. And he quotes Psalms chapter 8, verses 4 through 6, says this, What is man that you would take thought of him, and the son of man that you would care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than God, and you crowned him with the glory and the majesty. You made him to rule over the works of your hands, and you put all things under his feet. The psalmist writes, basically, God, what is man to you? What do you care about man? Why, why should you even give man a thought? Which is a challenge. And we think about it, it really is a question of value. Why is the message better? It's a message of value. Do you know how much God values you? How much? Jesus came to deliver a message to you. To me. To mankind. He left heaven. Did He have to leave heaven? Does God need man? 
No, but he values man. We're God's highest creation made in his image to be able to display his love. To be able to understand the value that we have to the creator. And your value is so great that the creator of the universe came to deliver a message. You know what that message is? I love you and I want you to be with me. That's a powerful message. I love you. And I want to give my life for you. So, Jesus came to bring this message. Your value is so great. I love you. And I'm going to give my spirit to dwell within you so that you will never be alone. I love you so that you will continually hear my voice wherever you go. I will continue to talk with you and to share my love with you. Jesus came to bring that love to you, to me. So what does it mean to be made a little lower than angels? Holy God added to Himself humanity and took on the form of sinful man. Angels are created beings and they're holy others. They're not up at the level of God, but they are holy beings. They could be in the presence of God. And Jesus came and added to Himself this, this level of humanity, and He walked this earth. Spent time experiencing everything that we would have to go through. Why? So He would be the perfect high priest. He could perfectly relate to mankind within this. Not just pop in and, and, and pop out. The other thing that's important is this. To show how much God loves you, God did not send an angel to die for you. He sent His only Son. That's how much you're loved. To show you how God works, I had the opportunity today to, actually yesterday was the first conversation, to talk with somebody who I talked with in 2015. This individual had a, a significant loss of an adolescent child, sudden loss. And I was, I was able to, to help them out, do the service, do some counseling and some different things, and, and have lost touch with this individual for a period of time up, up until um, maybe it was Monday that, that they called. I didn't even recognize them at first, the name. And they had a need. Do you remember me? I said, well, help me understand, because the last name is different. They told me who it was. I said, yeah, I do remember you. And I walked that journey of grief with this, this parent. But I found out this week, in the conversation over the last couple of days with this, this parent, that when I came in and talked with you, do you remember that? And I said, yeah, I remember that. And I was grieving, and, and I said, yeah, I remember. 
She goes, what you didn't know was I had planned to commit suicide after I left your office. And after talking with you, you talked me out of it. Now, the conversation of suicide never came up. But what happened? I gave her the Word of God and she heard the message within that. She understood that she had value. She understood that God loves her. And then after all of these years, when trouble came, she knew where to come back to to have another conversation. You never know what nudge God is going to give you. But when given that nudge or that opportunity, give them Jesus. Let them know that they're loved. Let them know that they're encouraged. Jesus said there is no limitation and there is no depth nor height. There is nothing that's going to keep me from showing my love to you. So he came to earth. No angel ever did this. What is man that you remember him or the son of man that you're concerned about him? You made him a little lower than angels, but you crowned him with glory and honor. Jesus did all of that to redeem us. Jesus is better than angels because not only did he descend from heaven to earth, but he died on the cross, rose from the grave, and ascended to heaven and has authority over all things. This is the Jesus that we turn to. This is the Jesus that we run to within this. Why? So that Jesus could lead us to salvation. Look at verses 10. 10 on, he says this. He says, But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering and the death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, notice it doesn't say law, but by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone, for it was fitting him for who all things and through him are all things, in bringing, note, bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation, who through sufferings for both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them, note, brethren. We'll pause there for a minute and we'll take a look at this. Why did he do this? To die on the cross. To be the captain of our salvation. He is the Son of God who redeemed mankind so that we would become children of the living God. Angels can't do that. They can't within us. Jesus did that not just to point the way to salvation. He is the salvation to lead us into that place. He opened the door of death. He was the first one that went into death, conquered death, and opened the door of death and now holds that door open so that we can all walk through Him into eternal life. No angel can do that within this. He's the perfect Son and perfect Savior, and through Him we live. It's powerful within this. He goes on in verse 12, and he, again, he quotes Old Testament, Psalms and Isaiah. He says this, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children whom God has given me. Here's a powerful truth. 
You are a child of God if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. Say, well, I don't feel like a child of God. Did God ever ask you what you feel like? It's not based on what you feel like. He declares the truth. You are a child of God. Jesus identifies you as a brother or sister in the family of God. And there's nothing that can take that away within this. And we declare that praise. He's quoting Psalm 22, 22, where he says this, I will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly, and I will praise you. We are set apart as sons and daughters of the Most High. You're a child of the King. You need to live that way. Live in that blessing. Embrace it. Own it within this. And as a family of God, you should never be ashamed. Never be cast down. And say, well, I'm only a Christian. No, that's the greatest title ever. He also quotes Isaiah chapter 8, verse 17. Where in the Septuagint it says, I will put my trust in him. And the actual verse reads 817b. It says, And I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will ever look eagerly to him. It, it, it's the picture of a child that's looking to the father, waiting. I had the blessing of being able to hang out with my granddaughter on a pretty regular basis. Wendy's watching her five days a week. And. It's funny because she'll get she'll be at the house, you know, while I'm still getting ready, I'll come down the stairs and I'll make a sound or she'll hear my voice and she'll look up because she hears my voice. And then usually it's like, pick me up. And, and I was thinking about this eagerly look. We eagerly look for the Father. For these Jewish Christians, you can't have that same affection towards the law. I eagerly look to the law. No, because it comes out of relationship and this grace and this love that is there. And we trust in Him. You know, it's like the little child. And again, you know, I can, with all my kids and, and my grandkids, you know, I, they're, they're like little, you know, throw toys. They're, they're a lot of fun. Because you can take them and you can toss them up in the air, right? And they don't know enough that you might drop them so you, until you do. But I've never had that happen. But, but to get them up, and they just giggle, and they play, and, and, and they have that time to be able to have that trust, and the trust of a small child, to trust you, to lean in. It's really scary, though, when they trust you, and they don't know what they're doing, and they start flipping backwards, and you're like, what? We can trust in God, because that He'll never, ever drop us. It's such a great salvation. Israel was told in the Old Testament, look to your salvation, God will have that for you. As a Christ follower, we look to that redemption, that salvation that is coming, that day of salvation that will be revealed through Jesus. We've had a, a number of saints that have graduated to be with the Lord recently. And I can tell you this, having talked with them in the last days of their life, you know what they all said? Why am I still here looking for that salvation? This talked with one that is, that is getting closer to be with the Lord on Monday. And she said, I'm ready to go. 
looking for that salvation, looking for that redemption, looking to get out of this body that's failing. We don't look for the law to do that. We look for Jesus to do that. To hold that door into heaven open and to pass through Him into eternal life within this. The second Isaiah passage, the third verse that, that he says here, Behold, I, have, I am the children whom God has given me. Powerful passage. Comes out of Isaiah 18a. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel and for the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. The children that God has given me. Do you know that God knows everyone that will trust Him? God knows. And they've been given to Christ. And in John 17, He praises the Father. He says, I thank you, Father, that no one can take them out of my hand. In Romans 8, it says, I'm fully persuaded that neither death nor life nor principalities or powers or things above, things below, that nothing can what? Separate me from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus. Do you realize how special you are? And it's all based on the completed work of Jesus. Angels didn't do it and the law couldn't do it. Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law to open the door to heaven so that He could take you to be with Him. And Jesus came in real flesh to escort the men and women that, that have trusted in Him to be able to be in that place. How did He do it? Through a real physical resurrection. Not a spiritual resurrection. A real death and real resurrection. That's our guarantee to know that. We can be with Him. To be absent from the body, present with the Lord. We understand that, that God came to destroy the works of the devil. He had to defeat Satan. In 1 John chapter 3, 8 says this, The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. But the Son of God appeared for this purpose. Note, to destroy the works of the devil. You ever wonder what the works of the devil is? Kill, destroy, to kill and destroy. He's the destroyer. He destroys people. He destroys relationships. He destroys. Jesus came to defeat the devil so that he would lead captivity captive and take us home to be with him. Jesus became human to save man. We will never, ever, ever fully comprehend that. Within that. We think about this here in, in verses 14 on. It says this, Therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same flesh and blood, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For surely he does not give Help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make a propitiation or this atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he's able to come, note, to the aid of those who were tempted. Have you ever thought, 
Jesus, you really don't know what I'm going through. You ever thought about that? You can say it. You can think it. But what is Jesus' answer? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Maybe not, you know, as a human that's living in 2023. But categorically, Jesus knows. He knows grief. He knows frustration. He knows rejection. He knows humiliation. He knows what we're going through. That's why He's the perfect one to run to when we're in the midst of it. The law is incapable of understanding that. Because it's written statutes. It's not, it, it, it's not living. Jesus became flesh so that we who were like flesh... The other thing that I think is important to understand this is that Jesus never died for angels. Are there angels that fell from the grace of God and from the presence of God were cast out of heaven? Sure. Why didn't Jesus become an angel and pay the penalty for angels? Because they were not, first of all, created in the image of God and they are not God's highest love. They're servants. You and I are the ones whom Jesus came to die for. You and I are the ones that He wants to relate to the most. When you're sitting at home and you are feeling lonely and frustrated and angry or whatever the case may be, who is the first person that you can run to that will know you best? It's God within this. Because He, he, he sees you as lost. I got to thinking about what does that really look like in, our, in the context of our world today? March 4, 1854. A 21-year-old young man with a medical degree set out to reach China for Christ. He said, quote, China is not to be won for Christ by quiet, easy-loving men and women. The stamp of men and women we need is such that we will put Jesus... China, and all souls first and foremost, in everything at every time, even life itself must be secondary. His name, Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor astutely recognized that reaching the Chinese was often difficult for Western missionaries who maintained their Occidental customs and clothing. Taylor shocked other missionaries by choosing to wear traditional Chinese garb, and to put to style his hair as Oriental men did. What did he do? To save a Chinaman, he became a Chinaman. And he started one of the greatest movements of the gospel ministry in China that even continues today. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9.22, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might save some. You want to know your value? What is man that you are mindful of him? Look at what Jesus did. Look at what God's been doing. And the next time Satan tries to, to put you down and say that you're worthless, you have no value, that God doesn't care about you, that nobody cares about you, tell him he's a liar. And he's the father of lies. Because God has demonstrated that love time and time again. His message is much better than the angels. His ministry is much better than the angels because it is directed at saving you and me. 
and wanting to, for us to come to that place. So going back to the law or going back to trusting in angels or, or mythology or any of these other things is worthless. It's a waste of time. And it's going to cause you to drift in your faith. Keep Jesus first. In chapter 3, we go on and, it, and, and he, he's in that same vein in that argument. Because one of the things that was going on was that they were wanting to revert back to the law and to Moses as one of the great patriarchs. You, remember, you know the great patriarchs. It was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. All of these are great patriarchs of the faith. Well, the problem is when you start worshiping a man over Jesus, there's a problem with that, isn't it? You should never worship a man over Jesus. Some of the things that we've seen in, in church history is where people start worshiping pastors over Jesus. And they start elevating that pastor. Please don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. The problem with Moses is Moses was a faithful servant. Yes, Moses was a faithful servant at his time. They were worshiping Moses as his great patriarch. Even in Israel today, you can't speak against Abraham and Moses. He was the giver of the law. Should he be honored? Yes. Should he be worshipped? Absolutely not. Was Moses perfect? No. Moses have a little bit of a temper problem. Yeah. God called Moses and said, I want you to speak. He said, well, I have a speaking problem. I, I, I can't do this. Well, Jesus is better than Moses because Jesus is more faithful than Moses. If you look at verses 1 through 6, he says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest. We'll come back to that in a minute. Of our confession. And he was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also is in his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as a builder of the house has much more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all the thing is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken of later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are. And if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope, firm until the end. And so there's a comparison against the two. Now one of the things that I think is important is not only is Moses a patriarch within this, but if you notice, there's two phrases there. It says, the apostle and the high priest. Who was the highest authority in the Old Testament worship system? It was what? The high priest. Who was the highest authority in the New Testament church? It would be the apostle, as far as earthly leaders go within this. What's interesting is when you study this, there's what's called a definite article. The apostle, the high priest. It, it makes the apostle and the high priest the, the extraordinaire, the one of a kind, the unique within this. And he says this, consider Jesus as the premier apostle. Consider Jesus as the premier high priest within this. We have the Old Testament and New Testament authority all tied up together with Jesus. Jesus is greater than the Apostle Paul. For these New Testament Jewish Christians, 
He's bringing that in. And Jesus is greater than any high priest, including Moses. A.W. Tozer says this. And it was a quote I was trying to think of this morning. It says this, What comes into your mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing, or Jesus is the most important thing about you. In other words, what do you, who do you say Jesus is? It's the most important thing. Why? Because all eternity is wrapped up in that. Moses was a faithful servant. Numbers 12.7 declared, not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my household. He stuck it out. Did Moses have to hang out with grumpy people? A little bit? Yeah, a lot. And they got him out in the wilderness. And he's like, I got to deal with you guys. You want water? And I, I got to give you water. You want food? I got to give you food. And you're complaining. And you want to go back and all of this stuff. And he was faithful in the face of grumpy people. Now, that was Moses and the nation of Israel. How much better is Jesus as the Son of God having to deal with all kinds of mankind? Does Jesus have to deal with grumpy people? A lot within this. And he is more faithful. The text in verses 3 through 6 says that God is the builder of the house. Moses was the caretaker of the house. What house was Moses building? The nation of Israel. Small house. What house is Jesus building? The kingdom of God. Jesus is much more, much more faithful. Moses had a limited time. Do you know that Moses was only faithful to an extent and he couldn't go into the Canaan land, into the promised land? Why? He misrepresented God. He struck the stone. Moses could take the people to the edge, but he couldn't lead them into Canaan land. Jesus leads us into heaven. Why? Because he's faithful to the word of God to be able to bring us forth into that kingdom. We know that God is the one that builds the house even today. 1 Timothy 3.15 He says, But in case I am delayed, I write to you that to know how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of truth within this. So God is building the house. So what is the house that God's building? You. You know God's building you as a living temple, God is building you up. Building up your house, this house, this dwelling place. Moses is limited. He didn't redeem the nation. He just led them out. But Jesus is the one that redeemed the nation. And so we're told to hold that course. Notice as he goes on in verse 7. He says this, or I'm sorry, verse 6. He says, but Christ, faithful as a son... In his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence in the boast of our hope until the end. That means hold the course. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23-25 says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised to be faithful, let us consider how to stimulate one another love and good deeds. Note, not forsaking the assembling together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing. Why would he say that? Have you ever drifted off course in your life? 
you know, we do a lot of fishing out on the river. We go out and there's a thing that ends up happening, and I've had it happen to me a few times. And, and you'll be sitting there in a hog line and you're fishing. And so all the fishermen are going to get this, right? The guy that doesn't set his anchor right and doesn't put enough anchor line out and the anchor and the, and the waves start doing this, what happens to your boat? You start what? Slipping. Now, the guy that's in the boat, you're sitting there on the hog line and you're going, that guy's slipping. Why? Because he and his boat are all drifting out of the anchor line and they're moving. But you know what's interesting about that? The guy in the boat doesn't know it. He's sitting there chatting or they're playing cribbage or eating a, eating a banana, which you should never do in a fishing boat. And just floating down the river. And the other guys are looking at him going, he slipped his anchor. He slipped his anchor. And if he was out there by himself, he wouldn't know it until it was later, but he needs other people. I think it's interesting in Hebrews, it says, don't forsake the assembling of the saints that have become accustomed to some. Why? Because we need each other to be able to say, hey, look at buddy, you're slipping. You're slipping. We get off course a little bit. Hey, you're off course a little bit. Well, you know, I'm not off course. No, you are. You're drifting a little bit. Guys, have you ever been driving and your wife is telling you, hey, pay attention to the road? I know that never happens, but. Church of Thyatira, he says this, Revelation 2, 25. Nevertheless, what you have hold fast until I come, he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds at the end, I will give to him authority over the nation. Church of Philadelphia, Revelation 3, 11. I'm coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Paul's words to the church of Philippi 2.16. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I didn't run in vain or toil. In other words, hold fast. Stay the course. Or in Kerry's translation, check yourself. Check yourself. Check your course. And then if you see somebody drifting... Tell them lovingly, but say, hey, look, you're off course. And you need to listen to that. Verses 7 and 11 warns against hardening in the heart. It says this. Today, if you hear his voice or this correction, and it's actually a quote from Psalm 95. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of the trial of the wilderness, wherein your fathers uh, tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said to them, they're always going astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. One of the ways that we know that we're getting off course is the Holy Spirit tells us. My kids, and I've shared it with you before, the Holy Spirit stomach ache. You know when you're doing it. But if you grieve the Holy Spirit and you shove it down, you're going to hear him less and less and less and less within that. He's quoting out of Psalm 95, 7 through 11, where he says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture. There's the sheep analogy, again, within this. The sheep of his hand. Today, sheep, if you would hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as in Meribah, as the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me and they tried me, Though they had seen my work, for 40 years I loathed that generation, and they were a people who err in their heart, 
They do not know my ways, therefore I swore my anger, they shall not enter my rest. The 95 is the second part. That's the latter part of the correction. The first part is an encouragement. But the latter part is a correction. Look it. If you get to a place where you're grieving the Holy Spirit and not listening, and you start down a trajectory of destruction, God's going to turn you over to that destruction. It's not a salvation condition, but it will be a human destruction condition. Where we get to that place, God's wrath will come upon you as He did with Israel. You harden your heart, you're there. But how do we get a hard heart? You lack of faith. A hard heart comes for lack of faith. God is either sovereign or He's not. God will lead you, or you're going to say, no thank you God, and you're going to go the other way. There's no in-between within this. Israel hardened their hearts, and God said, look it. You don't want to go in the land, fine, you'll die out here for 38 years. You'll wander, I'll do it with the next generation. And so within this, I know a lot of people that start out in faith and saved, but then they harden their heart and they wander in a wilderness of life and suffer the whole time. There's no joy because God will not bless disobedience within this. You'll incur the wrath of God. Because you're rebellious. And as Romans says, it's a, it's a storing up the wrath. Notice what it says in Romans 2.5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Jesus brings truth. He gives us the Holy Spirit. Moses had to deal with people that were rejecting God. But Jesus has to deal with the same. But Jesus is a better high priest. Because he continues time and time again and lovingly nurtures us, brings us back to that place. But God will judge unfaithfulness. No doubt. Deuteronomy 2.14 says this, Now in the time that they took to come to Kedesh Barnea, we crossed over to Zered for 38 years until that generation of men of war perished from the camp as I swore to them. So what should we do? Take care of your heart. Take care of your heart. Moses was very much limited on what he could do with the people. He could give them the word of God, but that was it. Jesus is a better high priest because Jesus can speak to our heart. He knows what we're going through. He'll bring that encouragement. But it's our responsibility to take care of our heart, and that's how he ends this. Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another. Hear it again. Day after day is the day is long. Today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. And if we here hold fast, stay the course, the beginning of our assurance is firm until the end. While it's said, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, they did not all those who came out of Egypt, and with whom, as he was angry for forty years, was it not those who had sinned, whose bodies fell in their wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So note, see we that see, so we see that they were not able to enter in because of unbelief.
take care of your heart. Don't drift off course. And if you see someone drifting, call them out. Drifting comes as a result of stubbornness. Could you imagine being in a boat and watching this guy drift downstream and yell, Hey, your anchor's slipping. No, it's not. Yeah, I think it is. No, I'm fine. Have you ever met somebody stubborn like this? Hey, you know what? You're not doing so good spiritually. I'm doing just fine. Don't judge me. You're doing... You're not doing good. We've got to avoid that stubbornness within this. Because that stubbornness comes as, as a deception of sin. I want to end with this thought and then we'll have the worship team come up and close us. It's actually a, the third stanza out of a hymn. Come thou fount of every blessing. I want you to listen to these words. It's the third stanza that says this. O to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now, like a fetter, Bind my wandering heart to Thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for Thy courts above. God, we thank You that we can come before You, that we can celebrate a great salvation, that we can trust in You. Lord, we are a people that are prone to wander, prone to drift, getting off course so easy sometimes. Yet, Holy Spirit, You nudge us. You draw us towards the truth. Lord Jesus, You came to give us life and to open that door unto salvation. May we never, ever turn away from You, Lord Jesus, to futile, empty things of religion, mythology, or worldly thinking. May we seek You first in all of those things and honor You with our lives. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we close.
said. Amen. Merry Christmas. Have a great rest of your week. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.